Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Oh, thank you. After a very eventful night. Oh, that's for sure. What do we know about the uh, kidnapping of an Israeli soldier? What is the latest? Uh, the IDF is indicating that this appears to be the case, that it was done. Hamas claims that it was done before the ceasefire went into effect. They're saying it's not true. It was done afterwards, and the ceasefire has now collapsed, not just because of that, because of a series of attacks that uh, they engaged in. And uh, it's, it's, uh, the, the, the fighting now seems to be uh, raging. There were missiles fired at Israel uh, before the ceasefire collapsed. And... Um, If the impression is that Israel's had an aggressive attitude, um, and whether we should put it that way or not is, you know, for another time, but let's say Israel has certainly been um, making a strong military statement over the last 24 days, uh, this episode could really ramp things up. Do you agree with that? It could ramp up the military action? Yeah. Well, Israel has demonstrated once again this is now the sixth ceasefire that Israel accepted. Humanitarian ceasefires, Egyptian ceasefires, even the Hamas's own ceasefire, which they violated. Now this is the sixth ceasefire, and the the onus being placed on Israel repeatedly by the international media, in particular, and some in the international community. By the way, not in the Arab world, where the onus is being placed largely on the. Uh, on Hamas, and where you see editorials even in some papers, uh, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, elsewhere, or, or UAE, uh, coming out against Hamas and uh, implicitly supporting Israel. The, uh, it, it, even in most Muslim countries, you don't see support uh, for Hamas, and yet you see it in the European media and even in the American, uh, much of the American me- media, let alone UNRWA and its. Uh, and its um, sister organizations in the United Nations, and specifically, if, uh, if if this is, I mean, if this is in fact the truth, and it seems it is that an Israeli soldier has been kidnapped, can that isolated episode in and of itself increase things like crazy? Yes, and the, it has. There's a very widespread search going on for the soldier right now, and the um, uh, Israeli army is obviously always committed to bringing home everyone. So this alone will will be an escalation for uh, for for what, what what's happening on the ground right now. And we know this happened in southern Gaza. For those of us who are unfamiliar, is, is there much different between the different regions of Gaza when it comes to trying to destroy the tunnels and kill the terrorism infrastructure, or is it really just you know a, a is it a duplicitous uh, uh, a type of operation just in many different parts of the strip? Well, uh, duplicitous in the sense, you mean that it's it's the same everywhere? Yeah, basically you've right. got, uh, uh, you know. So the answer is not the same everywhere. The, the depth of the tunnel infrastructure, not only how deep it is, but the, the intensity of it varies from place to place. The uh, element of surprise isn't there because Israel leaflets and Israel warns and Israel gives them advance notice to civilians to get out of uh of areas where Hamas is firing from, and, and I think more and more people understand that uh, the tunnels start in mosques, they start in people's homes, 
and I know there are a lot of people who ask the question, so we might as well preempt it, what's going through people's minds. Why didn't they know? Why didn't they see? You know, they begin in a, underneath a bathroom sink. That's the opening into the tunnel. And to discover these, and many of them have multiple ownings, openings. The, the terrorists who got through this week uh, came through a tunnel that had already been discovered by Israel, but they didn't get all of the branches of it, you know, leading into various parts of Israel. So near the Gaza border, within a mile or so of the Gaza border, you have those that lead into Israel. Then you have all the infrastructure under Gaza, which Israel's not even touching, where you have all of this network of uh, underground facilities. And I, it's not just tunnels. They're facilities in a sense that you have, have rocket launchers, you have manufacturing capacity, storage, weapons, uh, depots, uh, underground. And that can be anywhere, north, and south. That can east. be virtually anywhere. And, and also, people don't know that, that a lot of the damage that's being done is being done by uh, Hamas's own rac- uh, rockets. Uh, uh, I saw a statement on, on Wednesday, I think, that 140 rockets were fired at Israel. Fifty of them fell inside Gaza. Hmm. And uh, that's about, and about 10% overall of, their, of the rockets fired by Hamas misfired land in Gaza, including one of the M-75 rockets with a 100-kilogram warhead, exploded and killed at least seven Palestinians. We saw the attack on the Shifa hospital by one of their, and the Shanti refugee camp, by missiles that they misfired. And nobody takes that into account. You don't hear U.N. officials and UNRWA officials citing it. And, and the, the facilities that were built within U.N. facilities, you know, three of the IDF soldiers killed this week was because an UNRWA clinic was booby-trapped, and the, uh, they had sent in explosive sniffing dogs and a small robot to, uh, to minimize damage to the structure, but explosives that were rigged to the building itself detonated and topping, uh, toppling part of the uh, building on top of the soldiers, and another 15 uh, were injured. This is a part of the story that, that people don't know, and, and it's so intensive that... Um, they, uh, there are, in, in one of the sweeps of a single street of 28 buildings, 19 were found to be booby-trapped. Yeah. And this is what we said last week, that the enemy is a lot different than it used to be. You know, very clever, and the booby-trapping is one of the main reasons for that. And, and some of the world sees it. The Canadian government is very clear and uh, said no one likes to see the suffering, but it's the terrorists. Hamas that has responsible and all their sister groups there. They initiate it. They continue it. And I don't understand why the rest of the world can't see with the same uh, moral clarity. Thank God at least you see the statements by Hegel, by others, continuing that this had, there has to be a disarmament of Hamas as part of any uh, uh, ceasefire. And by the way, you mentioned numbers before. I think I saw yesterday since July 9th, we're now at 3,000 rockets into Israel, which is only three weeks. I think, it's, I think it was 3,000 since the 9th of July. And you just mentioned uh, people making statements, uh, coming out and, uh, and understanding the situation. I've got to ask you this. Most people who spoke to me this week wanted me to lead with this question. What do you know about this uh, conversation and transcript between the President of the United States and the Prime Minister of Israel? Uh, it keeps getting denied in terms of its authenticity, and then something comes up which makes you want to actually believe that that transcript is authentic. The transcript is not authentic. It doesn't mean that some of those things may not have been said in the course of the conversation, of the overall conversation. 
but it, it, the transcript itself by both sides admission is not uh, authentic. There was a there was a comment that the president of the United States got uh, a little hot under the collar during that conversation that there were actual threats being levied from Washington to the prime minister. Is that true? I, I wasn't on the phone call, so I can't comment. Well, you said that some aspects of this transcript or this alleged my assessment is that somebody that some of the things uh, were probably said. I don't know if the exact words were used, but some of the messages alluded to were probably said because we've heard it from other people in the administration. So, do you think that that phone conversation was a lot different than ones that that took place two or three weeks ago, and that the United States is really and the president of the United States is losing patience with Israel in this situation? Well, just look at his public statements. They indicate that he has called for immediate ceasefires. He's called for other immediate action. At the same time, they are uh, the government of Israel has asked for the ceasefire, and that was Kerry's response this week, which was not wrong. And they said that that uh, they thought they were uh, what they were doing was consistent with what Israel uh, had asked for, which was an unconditional uh, ceasefire which would allow, at the same time, Israel to continue to go into the tunnels, which this ceasefire allowed. You know, they were going after, the, still dismantling the tunnels during the ceasefire as part of the agreement. And I think that there may have been some misunderstandings this week. It's certainly uh, uh, very unfortunate, if in, especially in a time of war, but a time like this, that there be perceived to be at least the, the the big separation between the United States and Israel. I don't think it's as big as some people try to make it or wanted to make it. I do think that there are always going to be tensions because they have different agendas. To any two countries have differing agendas, but the support for Israel and for Israel to do what it has to do to defend itself has been sustained completely, and we have not seen uh, punishment uh, with withholding things that we know of. Yesterday, the uh, additional funding for Iron Dome was not forthcoming, but it wasn't because uh, of it was because of, of it being tied to other bills and not because of lack of support. And when they come back in September, I have no doubt that it will be passed. But you know, Israel also Israel issues get caught up in the normal politics of uh, between Republicans and Democrats. Right, I understand that. Is it? We discussed this a little bit yesterday. Is it realistic? To have a ceasefire when Israel continues to pursue the tunnel infrastructure is that is that possible and and realistic to expect from the enemy that as Israel continues its pursuit of the tunnels and destroying them that there could actually be peace that the rockets could stop being shot? Well, destroying the tunnels doesn't mean that anybody has to be hurt. It doesn't mean that Israel goes into additional territory. Israel maintains that corridor within the borders uh, of Gaza and. The United States said that recognized and others that it needs to continue to take defensive measures. This is not an offensive act to destroy a tunnel that comes under the border into your territory. And I think most of the world on that score is not so bad with Israel. With what Israel needs to do, they are, uh, I mean, obviously they're never going to be a chorus for Israel's security, right. but the, the idea that tunnels, I think, shocks people and, and people understand why Israel... And needs to do it, you know, and, and many of them were found to be uh, inside mosques and other places. Um, so, uh, I mean, I, I think on that count, uh, there hasn't been a problem. There, I do think that there were, there were unfortunate exchanges and misunderstandings with last weekend, 
between the Secretary of State, the pictures, the optics of him with the Foreign Minister of Qatar and of Turkey, I think are very unfortunate when you when you see the reaction, not in Israel, I'm talking about in Egypt and Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states and many other places where, uh, including the PA, came out very strongly against it. Uh, so he managed to unite everybody. Uh, but they, the two parties that are closely associated with Hamas, and you saw again statements by Erdogan's guys talking about Hitler, talking about you know Israel in the most uh, terrible ways, and depicting what Israel is doing in, in horrific ways. And people feel that you should not be giving legitimacy to Turkey or to Qatar, which has been the major funder of Hamas uh, till now. So I hope that issue. And you saw that the, the prime minister came out and said that the the um, mockery of of, uh, of Kerry. And last weekend was uh, unwarranted and unfortunate. Right. Uh, th- this is not a time when we should have a breach between the two. America has to be standing with Israel, has to make clear what the issues are. There's never been a clearer moral clarity, I think, in a war than in this one. We have to make the case, all of us, people who listen have to call them when the media keeps distorting and misrepresenting. I haven't seen one time a report saying how many kids died in, in uh, Gaza building the terror tunnels. At least 167, they say, were killed just in the construction of, the, of these tunnels. I don't see them reacting when these horrific uh, acts of incitement and the words of incitement are, are mouthed, whether it comes from Rouhani, who, who talked about the festering Zionist tumor again this week, and the, uh, the nature of the violation of human rights and civil rights and the war crimes being committed by Hamas. They fired, as you noted, almost 3,000. It's about, uh, well, after last night, it's probably over 2,900 uh, uh, mortars. And Israel has hit about 4,000 targets, which shows you how far the Hamas infrastructure goes. It's not because Israel is wantonly hitting places. They're firing, at, and they're going after declared sites, sites in which have been fired, sites where, we know, where they know that there are uh, weapons and where weapons have been fired from. And I think that there, you know, the, the confusion that has reigned in this, despite the live coverage of the presence of reporters, the ability through all of the new media to cover events, and yet they still are somehow able to manipulate. And it's not because Israel's PR is bad. Israel's PR has been good. They have put out information regularly. They have made things of people available. Their spokespeople are as good as we've ever had. It's because you're facing a hostile media that is prepared to distort and misrepresent. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, and around the world on the web, jmam.org. Malcolm Honline is with us, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Next Friday, uh, we are broadcasting from Stay Road. We'll reconvene with a weekly update Please, God, two weeks from today. Uh, you said a lot in there. Let me go back for a second to uh, uh, to the Secretary of State. I- is it any more complicated than he simply wanted Qatar and Turkey to be the, I don't know, co-sponsors of this truce? I, I mean, it, it seems so absurd. You would think that America would choose partners who have a little bit more affinity toward Israel and who Israel you know, can live with a little more than those two? Well... I think his the thinking was that these are the two countries that have influence with Hamas, and if you want Hamas to come to the table, or at least to agree to a ceasefire, uh, which, again, Israel wanted right. as well, 
Um, he needed them to bring they, them to the they table. Needed the the people who had some leverage. Whether they ever exercised that leverage, we don't know, and we don't know what. Uh, I mean, the record till now has been quite the opposite of right. of uh, being those who who, who advance. Uh, well, how do you how do you react when you hear that IDF uniforms and ball bearings are in humanitarian aid shipments from Turkey to Gaza? And, <laughs> and the most recent ones that were just uh, uh, marbles that were were found in them, which are used by them in 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 the uh, missiles, and that's again a point. Which, you know, you don't see the media telling what is in these missiles. You know why people have to wait after the siren? Because they're packed with ball bearings and shrapnel. And that stuff can circulate for a couple minutes after a bomb, after a missile hits. So they have to wait until all that stuff is, uh, is settled. Right. So or, or hit on the, you know, hit in the air and it rains down. Right. So those who are sending those to Gaza are the ones standing with the United States trying to negotiate a truce. Right. Our hope is that very little is going to get through to Gaza, but but this was humanitarian shipments. Yeah, understood. And on the media side of things, uh, which you were discussing, so when so when the when a rally in New York City, which you know proudly and shamefully, you know, there's always a double sword, a double edged sword, um, gets ten thousand people to come to New York City. I, I frankly was very proud of the thousands who came out. I was very disappointed by the thousands who didn't. But whatever. Um, and there's no media coverage, or relatively no media coverage. So the reason is because we have uh, bad PR departments at the top of uh, uh, the Jewish leadership, or we're simply being ignored by the media when it comes to rallying for Israel. It's you know the media wants man bites dog story. When Jews come out in support of Israel, without arrest and without arrest and without violence and without burning yeah, flags so and without demonstrations. Why, why, why do they go, love to cover the stories of Hamas and not look at the Israeli victims? Why don't they? How many stories have you seen about what it's like for what what the cost for Israel has been of this war? How many billions and billions of dollars? Because there's no there has been limited loss of life of civilians. Now we've lost. Unfortunately, about 62 people altogether, most of them uh, soldiers. Right. Think of all those families yeah. which do, who do not get coverage, but th- there's no blood and gore. They want to see missiles not being taken out in the sky, which was very interesting to their state, so that became an exciting thing, but the people got tired of it. But they can show blood and gore and tell these horror tales and exaggerate them. If you listen to NPR and others, how they can spend 10 minutes on a particular incident and you don't get the real context. You don't get the real facts about um, about what happened. So when you rally in New York without flag burnings and without arrests and without you know uh, civil disobedience and everything else, that nobody pays attention. Well, I mean, I'm sure there was some attention, but we did in Washington the, the National Assembly leadership assembly. We got a lot of coverage, but mostly when somebody interrupted, young one young <laughs> guy, one guy can interrupt uh, Susan Rice for maybe 30 seconds, and that of course got. Uh, covered, but her speech was very important, and because it addressed the controversy, so got a lot of coverage. I don't know what what it would have been before, and you know, and it applies to everything. When when somebody is critical, when a, a foreign leader says something about Israel, you see the coverage. When the Danish prime minister refuses to sign the letter by the Nordic states, when the president of Paraguay refuses to sign, when the prime minister of Canada stands up and speaks, they don't get coverage. They don't get whoever supports Israel, and there's a lot more support. Then, you know, when, when the Hispanic community comes out in support of Israel, it gets no notice. When a group of Hispanic artists or, or actors says something against Israel, that gets coverage. That's right. And, you know, people say, why isn't the PR better? It's not because the PR isn't good. Believe me, if they knew one-tenth of what is being done and how much is being done around the clock 
uh, in creative ways, whether it's in the new media, the old media, every media, and uh, and and you know Israel's portrayed as as being locked into a situation. It's not locked in. It's doing what it what has to do, and it's doing what it should do, and the, the and it has to take the time until they complete it. By the way, do you want to join me in expressing disappointment that uh, there were not more thousands of people there in New York City on Monday? First of all, uh, we have to remember there were amazing events everywhere in the country, hundreds and hundreds of events. And in, and in the New York area, dozens, maybe more, rallies and other things. So people you know, felt that they've attended things. Uh, this was done in short notice, but uh, I think having 10,000 people in August when you know schools are closed, colleges are closed, other things uh, where normally people who have more, are more readily available – uh, and I'm not sure if it was 10,000 or 15,000. It should have been more, but I think that it's a, it was a very respectable showing. But frankly, if they had tripled the number, the media coverage would not have been different. For 100,000, it might have been different. For 100,000, you, you're right. They might have been a, a difference, but uh, we'll see when that uh, the time will come. But I think that the, you know, the effectiveness of, of the, the, the demonstrations, uh, I know why people need it. I know why I need it and why we did this assembly which uh, brought all the leadership of Congress together, brought others, and we made this real strong show uh, of unity. At the same time, we're trying to deal with the facts. We're trying to counter all of these, these mistaken images. We're going after the companies that are being threatened by a boycott, which should be remembered. And by the way, this time, and I know this is an issue you and I have discussed many times, the Haredi community in, in New York has responded, I think, more and there have been more uh, tefillah gatherings, tehillim gatherings. And you saw that the spokesman for, for Gare in, in Israel said, when the country needs to be defended, then it is not appropriate for yeshiva students to go on holiday. And they canceled the vacations for the yeshiva guys. Yeah, there were four Hasidic groups that said they'll remain open during Ben Azmanim. And now we're waiting for a decision to see if the uh, other mainstream yeshivas in Israel are going to follow suit. And, frankly, I think the yeshivas here as well should consider that. But, yeah, accentuate the positive. It was amazing to see that report. And we uh, and we uh, thank those who uh, implement their own strategy. You've, you and I have discussed many times every strategy is important. If you believe in the strategy, which we do, that Torah study is key to our victory and to the future of the Jewish people, then, yes, this is certainly the appropriate move. And when and when people see something, you know the 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 reports now that the White House ascribe responsibility for the UNRWA bombing to Israel. When they see something that's wrong, find ways. Write to White House. Let them know what you think. Call talk shows. Write letters to editors. Support. You know the get hold of your member of Congress. Let's hear the statements. I mean, there have been many resolutions introduced this week. Uh, at least four. One on the SPA, which is the Strategic Partnership Act, which makes Israel. Uh, special puts it in a special category, which has all sorts of benefits. You have the money for Iron Dome funding, which will not get through. As you know, the Senate went on vacation late last night, the, the recess until September. But you're I mean, you, you and between now and November, Congress, I think, is in session all of twelve days. You seem to indicate, though, in September it will pass. I, I, oh yes, I mean the support is there. The number. So there. the reason I say it like that is because on social media there's some people panicking that everyone's got to you know call their senator and, and 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 you know and beg to make sure that the funding comes through. It, it's not as desperate a situation as some people are describing. But they should hear. And now members of Congress are home, and and my point is that they should visit them or invite them to synagogues, communities, 
and ask them for their analysis of what's going on, ask if they're going to visit Israel. There are people working on it. I know Elliot Engel, others who have been amazing in all of this, uh, Peter King uh, f- uh, from the New York area, uh, most of the people, Steve Israel is leading a group, um, Chuck Schumer, others have been really remarkable. Gillibrand introduced a resolution with Ted Cruz against Hamas uh, earlier this week. So people have been doing it. doesn't all get a lot of coverage, but there's been a lot of activity. And the, uh, but we have to press them to see who, who is doing and who isn't doing and making sure that in September all these things will be resolved. Israel is, has been allowed to take weapons from the prepositioned arms in Sinai. And the best line I heard was when some reporter was questioning, uh, I think somebody from the Defense Department, and they said, well, the stuff is getting old anyway, we would have to replace it, whatever. But, but the fact is, and that's when people who say, why don't you go all out on Israel? Why don't you destroy the administration? Why don't you declare everybody anti some Because the United States-Israel relationship is so fundamentally important for Israel's security, as it is for America's security, that you can't just go based on emotions. You've got to think through when, what you do, how you do it. That's why you see the prime minister reacting the way he does, and people sometimes mock. I think it's uh, for his domestic reasons. No, there are real practical reasons, and we have to use our brains, not just our yeah. hearts or our guts, to determine what we do. Are there are a lot of military experts in our community, Malcolm. There are a lot of generals. I, I must say I'm, I'm deeply impressed with how many West Point graduates we must have. <laughs> By the way, I have a new policy, which I think you'll appreciate. In our neighborhood, we have a bunch of parents whose uh, sons are in Gaza right now. And the policy is if, if a parent of a soldier is in the room, there is no discussion of, of the military policy. Because I can just imagine how they roll their eyes when they hear people like me making suggestions of what Israel should or should not do. <laughs> and, of course, it's their sons who are putting their lives on the line. You know? By the way, you raise such an important point. Last night, until very, very late, I was on the phone with families who have kids in, in Gaza today. And people forget how many... Americans who have gone on Aliyah are being called up. I spoke to somebody last night who has three sons in the army right now in different places, but two, two, one near Gaza, one in Gaza. And, you know, we should reach out to them. People should understand what they're going through, the anxiety of what, what this means, and to be supportive. We have to be supportive of our troops, although there are a lot of campaigns that are not legitimate, you know, raising money for yarmulkes and it's this, you know, Iron Dome yarmulkes are a good idea, but anything short of that, the ID, friends of the IDF is, is carrying the, the army was much better prepared. They had vests for everybody going in. Uh, that doesn't mean that every campaign is not legitimate. You know that, that yesterday I saw a statistic that the Israelis provided 30,000 meals a day for soldiers in Gaza. We, we don't even realize that they can go to a war that you drive to. And I know my friend, uh, Mati Fried at the Beaker uh, Bezos Holim, they go, they go down every day with food, Hasidic guys, and bring stuff to the soldiers. Wow. And it's very meaningful to them uh, because it supplements what they get or they don't get, or, and uh, not because the army wasn't prepared or they don't have everything they need. Thank God this time they do. Unbelievable. A couple of other things. When we hear about 16,000 more reservists being called up, and I think this was uh, just before the ceasefire that never happened. Um, I mean, should we, on the surface, assume that Israel is ready to, you know, increase the intensity in Gaza, or a big call-up is not always 
uh, does not always translate into that. It could just be a precaution or some type of strategic planning in case of some type of turn uh, in this whole episode. Well, I think all of those things uh, are factors. Also, you need to give relief to guys who have, some of them have been a month in, in mm, Gaza. Good point. Weeks, uh, and more. So you need to give get them relief. So bringing up people is important. I think one of the things they should do is not keep them so near the border because they become easier targets uh, there. But um, uh, So that's one. Two, I think it is preparation that people have to be ready because they are talking about expanding uh, the action inside Gaza, because what they're finding is that these tunnels and, and the launchers and other things extend throughout Gaza. And if they're really going to put an end to the attacks, it's not going to come because Hamas is going to voluntarily dismantle them. We know that. You see it. You see that in the constant violations, even of their own ceasefires. So Israel may feel the need to be able to go into a broader area. People ask questions. Why didn't they be, why weren't they more aggressive in the first days? Why weren't they, you know what? Those are all things that we can analyze later on. Right. I'm not a general. I don't know. I don't think I know better than they do. I, I, they know all of the things that that we suggest um, as well. But I, I mean, I wish the stories of really what's going on. You know that Hamas steals the the UN food coupons so that they don't get distributed to the people, but they give it to their own people, to their soldiers and others, because they do not have the funding. They are not doing well. And, um, you know, we, we saw the story this week how al-Qaeda is, is, is being funded because of the ransoms they collect each year. I think $66 million last year alone paid to them, which they use then for the terrorist activities. And they're kidnapping people. And, and how many of these stories have you seen? How many times do this, does the media report on it, yep. assuming after a guy is released? By the way, the identification of the uh, soldier has been released. Hadar Golden, 2nd Lieutenant Hadar Golden, 23 years old, from Kfar Saba, has been named as the IDF soldier presumed to be abducted by Hamas. We pray for him. 23 years old, Malcolm, and he is the latest kidnapping victim, and who knows where this is going to go now. I, I don't know how anybody can look at the pictures of these young guys who've been killed the soldiers and because they're soldiers somehow it's supposed to denuded of its the sentiment and the you know okay the soldiers that's what they're supposed to die and media you see how constantly the, the leftist oriented media others say uh, 23 soldiers 60 uh, soldiers and thousands of civilians children other things how about all the children in israel who have been affected where do you see stories about telling how many of them live underground for all of this time all the communities near Gaza, let alone even into Tel Aviv and elsewhere, and everybody who's been there, and you will see it next week when you're there again. And and again, I urge people, visit Israel. It's so important. Every who comes back says they come back on such a high, they see how important it was, how they made a contribution by going, just wander around, let alone visit the, kids, the soldiers in the hospitals or the families and and. There's so much good you can do with it. Every family and business in Israel is in turmoil somehow, whether it's uh, the, the call-ups, the reserves, people in the army, uh, business having to stop. Uh, and it, and it, there are businesses p- not coming. People in the tourism industry. And all these things which can only be countered by our being assertive. And when we read about a company, and we are going to put out information soon, it's, we're, we're finished, companies that we have to support who stood by Israel despite the campaigns. But I can tell you, that boards of at least one or two major companies, major companies, are reevaluating their relationship because of some of these activities, 
and some of them, including the picketing at our office and elsewhere, are done by misguided, at best misguided Jews, young Jews, who don't have a clue what they're saying and what they're what they're arguing, what they're protesting, but uh, but make headlines and make news. Oh, no question about it. Um, finally, Europe, it, you have to, with everything going on, and we see that almost every, so many countries, I should say, in Europe have some type of, the Jewish community in each of those countries have some type of situation going on at the moment. Uh, you did see that there were thousands who took to the streets in Europe in pro-Israel rallies at the end of this week. Uh, it took some courage for people to get out to the streets in Europe and do that. Yes, especially because they have very violent anti-Israel protests, and when they spot is pro-Israel protests, they harass people, and the police have to do a better job. Um, obviously, France has been uh, primary in it, but it's, uh, it's true in the Scandinavian countries. It's true in others. Uh, again, that's why I cited the Danish prime minister's refusal to sign uh, uh, a letter that from the Nordic social democratic leaders condemning Israel's attacks, etc. So you had uh, party leaders in Norway, Sweden, Finland, Iceland uh, signed this where they condemn Israel's use of disproportionate force. I mean, this is one of the big jokes of this war, uh, not funny jokes, but uh, how the word disproportionate has taken on a whole new significance when, when the proportionality had nothing to do with the number of victims. It had to do about the significance of the amount of force used and the significance of a site that's selected. Now, these sites we know are significant, every one of them, and every one of them is... Uh, is important in terms of the carrying out of terror and, and but you don't see any of them doing resolutions saying uh, yesterday in in uh, in israel hundred and fifty eight trucks were scheduled to cross but they couldn't because of the security situation but <clears throat> uh... twenty truckloads thirty truckloads of food with six hundred and twenty one tons of food Eighty tons of agricultural supplies and additional trucks. Seven trucks carrying forty-four tons of medicine and medical supplies. Four trucks carrying twenty-five tons of humanitarian supplies. One day, one day. How many times have you read it? Despite the fact they're firing, and including last night, they fired on some of the crossings which are opened in order to benefit them. How many? And they are preventing people from coming for uh, Palestinians who come from Gaza quietly every week for treatment in Israel. Now Hamas is preventing them, and then they're going to blame Israel and say Israel isn't. What other country set up a field hospital at its enemy's crossing to treat their people? And this, these stories get no attention. Oh, that's for sure. Uh, is there a particular country in Europe um, that you could point to right now, unlike France, which we've seen a deterioration, and you know we've been talking about it for months and years, where you would have said to yourself, I don't know, a few weeks ago, that you would go visit and be openly Jewish, so to speak, but today you'd consider, not, not I don't want to talk about your courageous, I'm saying in general, where, where Jews would be, you know, relatively uncomfortable in that type of situation. Is there any country in Europe where it has switched dramatically in a short period of time? It, you mean deteriorated dramatically? Yeah, like, you know, really quickly, where a few weeks ago you would have told the Jewish group, go, enjoy, it's the greatest place to go tour, and now you would hesitate to, you know, to even suggest that they, that they take a trip there. Uh, I would hesitate many places. Uh, people tell me Italy is relatively safe, if my own kids were there, but I do not suggest that you go anywhere in Europe with the Yarmulke on, because you never know, and, and there are incidents everywhere and often. Uh, France certainly, Great Britain has had a lot in London, but we've had them in L.A., in Chicago, in Boston, here in New York uh, as well. So we don't have to turn to Europe for this. So we don't have to just go to Europe. And and 
I think in Canada as well we've had incidents. Uh, so I can't tell you right now of a country in Europe that I would say um, where, where it's safe. In Berlin, they tell you not to wear anything visibly Jewish, even though the government has been really supportive. And by the way, the government of France, under Valls, whose wife is Jewish and, and has been very outspoken, and I spoke to the head of the French Jewish community, I speak to them regularly, uh, told me that the government has been supportive and has been uh, uh, working on it. But, you know, you're dealing with demographic realities of the number of people, which I spoke about here with you 10 years ago, and we kept warning, and much to the chagrin of the people in Europe, and I kept saying, you got to wake up, you got to look at the realities. There's no way, it's not a question just of who it is, it's a question of the numbers. The demographic imbalances, the fact of the, uh, of the 75% of Muslims being under 25, the birth rate being double that of Europeans, etc., those were all realities, and now we're seeing the, the price and the radicalization that's taking place, let alone the return of the thousands who have started, some of whom have started to come back, as we saw in, in the attack in Brussels, who are trained in Syria yeah. and who have been fighting and who are killers. The handwriting's on the wall, and like you just said, you don't have to turn to Europe to see it. Hopefully everybody will open up their eyes and realize the future of the Jewish peoples in the state of Israel, no matter what the situation is there. That is true, but we have to recognize in America the law enforcement, uh, the yep. governments are supportive and fight anti-Semitism and do not want to tolerate this. There are times when they flirt with it. There have been incidents where we were disappointed with the reaction and responses. Right, you're a hundred large. You, right. you got to acknowledge it. You're a hundred percent right, and the Hakaras Hatov, the appreciation is there. You also know of many instances in history, including modern Jewish history, where things changed very quickly. Very quickly, and uh, again, you have to look at demographic realities wherever people are and the political trends. We see on the left uh, uh, great diminution. Uh, relative to the right of support, uh, where you might get 70-plus percent on the right, um, or more conservative side, I should say, leaning down towards uh, the left when you get even numbers or sometimes even worse. But by and large, the American people remain remarkably supportive of Israel. Our elected officials, the members of Congress, have been amazing. That's why you got to thank them. you got to encourage them. you got to those who haven't done enough be held to account. Ask them what did they vote for, what did they support, and what did they introduce. What, what measures have they taken beyond just uh, voting the right way? And the, the, you will be surprised sometimes by the response. Well, Malcolm, thank you so much. We'll speak in two weeks. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Have a good Shabbos. And people can be positive and, it's, and, and remember that we will get over this too. <laughs> That's true. That we know. That we know if we look at our, at our background in history. Friday morning, JM in the AM, 27 minutes after 8 o'clock. My thanks to Malcolm Honline. Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Next Friday in Stay Road, two weeks from today, we'll reconvene with a weekly update and discuss the news of the week in depth. Someone has posted, and I I hope this is accurate, because uh, that the name of the, uh, the, the Hebrew name for uh, prayers for Hadar Golden, uh, Second uh, Lieutenant Hadar Golden, is uh, Hadar Ben Chedvalea. Hadar... Ben Chedvalea. And, um, and of course we pray for him and uh, we hope that he's returned uh, safely to Israel very soon. I'm sure his, um, IDF brethren are searching for him as we speak with great intensity.